Listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820 brings you Foundations in Faith. Join Monsignor Frank Lane as he offers insights into the readings heard at Mass. And now, Foundations in Faith with Monsignor Frank Lane. This is Father Frank Lane, and we're continuing our program, Foundations in Faith. We're going to begin now to look at the Gospel according to St. Mark. And we'll go first to the 13th chapter, the 33rd to the 37th verse. This is a gospel that uh, the church uses oftentimes to begin the Lenten season, especially, I think, during cycle B. And there's a reason for it. It's a short, it's succinct. You just take it for what it is, and it's, uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of reflection, a whole lot of thought, because here it is. And so Jesus says to his disciples, be on your guard and stay awake, because you never know when the time will come. Is like a man traveling abroad. He has gone from home and left his servants in charge, each with his own task, and he has told the doorkeeper to stay awake. So stay awake, because you do not know when the master of the house is coming, evening, midnight, cockcrow, dawn. If he comes unexpectedly, he must not find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So there's the gospel. And basically what it's saying is that the Lord has risen to the Father. He is still, of course, with us in in sacrament and in word. But we know that this is temporary. We know that he is to return again and then to bring fulfillment in all things. Then the question is, well, what do we do in the interim? How do we wait for the Lord? And this is what he's saying here, simply stay awake, stay alert. But you know, we don't naturally stay awake. We have to, we have to make decisions to stay awake. It's very easy to become indifferent. It's very easy to kind of lose a sense of where we are and lose a sense of what's going on around us and just take everything for granted and put one foot in front of the other day after day after day. And saying, you know, oh yeah, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus Christ, I believe that he is my redeemer, my savior. But then it really doesn't impact our lives an awful lot of times. And so faith becomes kind of a category of our existence rather than some kind of compelling presence within us. And you know, when we look back at the story of Christianity, It is based upon decision-making. It is based upon facing a choice in life and making that choice. It began, of course, Christianity began with the Virgin Mary. When the Virgin Mary was confronted by the angel Gabriel, she herself, being very young, most probably, and being therefore a virgin, there, there were no other alternatives for a young girl in ancient Israel because not to be, in fact, would have, become, would have become a crime. And so the angel comes to her and says, you will be with child by the Holy Spirit. Now, the consequences of this are dramatic. Mary is betrothed, but she is not married that if she were to become pregnant during her betrothal, it would become, it would be the crime of adultery. And the crime of adultery 
could be punished by death. We know that. We know, for instance, when the Pharisees find a woman caught in adultery and they bring her to Jesus, you know, and get ready to stone her, and then they want to get him into trouble by saying, no, you don't have to stone her. In other words, you don't have to follow the laws, what they wanted him to say. But he didn't say that, of course. But what happened was Mary lived in this world, and Mary knew the consequences of an unwedded pregnancy. And so she had to make a great decision. She had to make a great choice. And out of her wisdom and her love for God and her trust in God, she abandoned herself into his care, into his providence. And she said, let it be done to me according to thy word. The fact is when Mary said that is when the process of our redemption began. And so the process of our redemption began with a choice, began with a decision. The decision made by a young girl, a young Jewish girl in the first century, who had, of course, in many ways been blessed, but blessed not for her own sake, but blessed that she might make a choice completely in freedom. And I think that that's something, too, that we should reflect upon, this idea of the freedom that we have to make choices, the freedom that we have to make decisions about our lives. Mary's freedom gave her the totality of a response, the absolute response, yes, I will do whatever you ask me, even though it may well shatter my social life, shatter my social relationships, and actually expose me to capital punishment. But I will do whatever you ask of me to do. With that human consent, then the Son of God became present in the world. Once again, throughout the course of a lifetime, that those decisions, Mary's decision, was foretold in the temple. This decision that you made, it's going to cause you excruciating pain. Simeon says, a sword will pierce your heart. That you will know a pain that is incredible because of the decision that you have made to bring this child into the world. So once again, strengthened by the choice, by the decision, Mary moves forward in her life as the mother of the Lord. We find also Joseph facing a choice. When he hears, for instance, that Mary is pregnant, whatever she told him, put yourselves in his position. If he loves her and she comes to him and says, I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and Joseph accepts that. He wants to figure out a way to be faithful to the law and yet at the same time to be merciful and kind to the woman that he loved. And so the Gospels tell us that he decided to divorce her quietly. That way he obeyed the law and he also, in the quietness and privacy of what is going on, he protects her from the public. But the Lord then comes to him in a dream 
and says, Joseph, don't be afraid to take this woman as your wife, for the child that she carries is the child of God, the child of the Holy Spirit. Well, Joseph has a decision to make. He can say, yeah, sure. Or he can say, if this is God's will, if this is what God asks of me, then whatever the consequences, I am willing to accept the responsibility to care for this woman and to care for the child. And so he does not divorce her quietly, but receives her into his home as his wife. The decision also means that because of the nature of the pregnancy of the Blessed Mother, that he is to live with her as his wife without the benefit of sexual intercourse. And so the choice that he makes to accept Mary and her child is the choice he makes of the style of life he is going to live for the rest of his life and the burdens and the responsibilities that he has in that relationship. If Mary is filled with the presence of God, then, you know, there's the question of her perpetual virginity, and it seems like, you know, what's, what a struggle and so forth this must have been. But no. If being filled with God is not enough for us, then what is heaven all about? What is eternal life all about? Is it a life of frustration because we can't live the way we lived in the world? Or is the fulfillment so entire that the need for anything more does not exist? And if even in Joseph, the understanding that he is the guardian of God himself, is that not enough for him? And if we say that in neither case was it enough for them, then we deny the existence of heaven and we deny the existence of eternity with the Lord. And then in the course of Jesus' lifetime, as he comes along and he begins then also to have to face decisions, he makes those decisions every time he encounters, every time he encounters the resistance. He can say to himself, he could say to himself, this is dangerous, I better keep quiet and disappear, go back to my carpenter shop, stay out, of the, stay out of the public arena, stay out of the public eye. But he makes the choice, no, this is the will of my father. And we hear this made, for instance, in the story of him in the temple as a child, when Joseph and Mary look for him, and uh, because they don't find him in the caravan from, from Nazareth, and, uh, and so they, they, they look for him, and he says to him, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And so he makes his decision then, as a 12-year-old, that he is going to serve the will of his father. I must be about my father's business. I must do what the Lord has asked me to do, what the Father has asked me to do. And so he begins that very treacherous journey through his own life, when each time, knowing the public pressure, the rejection, the ridicule, the anger, the danger, 
that went in his confrontations with the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests, the Herodians, the Sadducees, and so forth. In other words, the rabbinic establishment of first century Judaism. That he encounters them and he can knows very well that it could cost him his life. In fact, as he progresses in his, in his life, as he progresses in his way toward Calvary, he becomes more cognizant of the consequences of his actions, of the consequences of what he does by being faithful to the Father. But he accepts them and he moves forward with them. And each time, each time he is challenged by the Pharisees, each time he is tra um, challenged by the leaders of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, he takes a stand. When, for instance, he cleanses the temple, and they say, by what authority do you do that? He takes his stand. His authority, he claims, is of course obvious and evident, for he is doing the work of the Father. He is doing the work of God. And when, in fact, the betrayal comes, and when, in fact, he's drawn before the, uh, the kangaroo courts of his age, um, he, he could defend himself. He had not committed the crimes they say he committed. He could have said, no, I'm an innocent man. And if he said that, then they could have brought in, had to bring in a, a, a regular trial, real witnesses and so forth. But he never did that because his decision had already been made. He would fulfill the will of the Father. When he goes, therefore, into his agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Luke tells us that he sweat blood and he pleads with the Father, Father, let this cup pass from me, but your will, not mine, be done. The decision to submit to God's will, no matter what the personal cost was to himself, was his final decision, and the decision then that took him to the cross. So that we have to understand that the whole nature of Christianity is based on our decision, our choice. Eventually, eventually in each of our lives, faith has to become a choice that we make. There is no way that we can be compelled by human reason or by by any kind of loyalties or anything. We cannot be compelled to believe. Eventually, eventually in our lives, it becomes, in fact, a decision that we make, a choice that we make. Faith, ultimately then, is acceptance of the grace of faith. It is that kind of acceptance and participation in God's grace to us that brings us toward salvation. We cannot, you know, we can fight and, and resist, but in the end, if we are to be believers, if we are to accept Jesus Christ into our lives, we have to choose to do so. And those come at different ways in different people's lives. But this is what the gospel today means to us. This is what the gospel means. He must not find you asleep. Not to be asleep is a choice, is a decision. I will stay alert. It doesn't mean that we physically cannot sleep. What it does mean is that we cannot let our guard down to where we become indifferent, to where we allow ourselves to enter into doubt and skepticism of any kind. 
you know, there's a, there's a massive movement within Christianity, even within the church, to somehow or other make it all so palatable that we can just kind of go along and get along without any of these, without any of these strong reactions, without any of these strong responses from ourselves. We can do that for a long time or a short time, but in the end, we cannot do that. In the end, we have to say, yes, I believe, or no, I do not believe. And we cannot say, yeah, well, maybe, kind of, and then expect to enter into the presence of the Lord, who we kind of thought, well, maybe he's real, maybe it's real, maybe this whole thing matters. When we enter, then, into the spirit of this gospel, we face all sorts of personal issues, and we face all sorts of personal thoughts and decisions. It draws us to ask ourselves, how have I lived my Christian life? What kind of decisions have I made? What kinds of decisions have I made to honor the Lord or not to honor the Lord in great things and in small things? Have I made the real decision, for instance, if I were to get married, to get married in Christ in the church? Have I chosen that? Have I chosen to leave this world, for instance, as best I could in the graces of God? Do I strive to receive the sacraments? Do I strive, therefore, to be in the state of grace when I pass on into eternity? Or do I just relatively come, oh, well, you know, Whatever happens, happens, um, here we go. We, we ask ourselves, even in the serious sins of our lives, what kind of decisions did I make? Why did I make the decisions to do that when the decision not to do that was always available to me? It was always present. And I think, you know, that somehow or other, when we look back, when people look back on sinfulness and say, Somehow or other, I don't even know why I did that. I don't even know how that happened to me. I don't even know how I participated in this, that, or the other thing. We can say, well, yeah, I mean, the forces were powerful. Um, if it is a sin against the Sixth Commandment, yeah, the, yeah, the, the power, the forces within me were, were powerful, and I felt helpless against them. Well, but we're never helpless against them if we make a choice, if we stay awake. The same thing happens, you know, have I stolen, have I, have I, you know, been cruel, have I done any of those kinds of things, have I, for instance, what kind of choices have I made even in my family life between extracurricular activities and the sacrifice of the Mass, in which the Lord has asked us to come together with Him at least once a week and to participate in His body and His blood. In other words, to share his life with him. The most intimate point in our relationship with God is our reception of him into our whole person, into our body, our soul, our spirit, our mind, our heart. And how many times have we said, no, I'm too busy, or there's other things going on that I deem more important. How many times have those kind of choices, those kind of decisions affected our relationship with the Lord affected our willingness to be open to him. How many times was that simply falling asleep and not staying awake, as the gospel reminds us that we should? 
Today, when we reflect upon this gospel, we reflect upon it probably when we attend Mass, probably for the first Sunday of Advent in every third year. We, we are asked to say, we're going into this now. This is a beginning. What is the beginning of Christianity? It is the saying yes of the Virgin Mary to, to receiving the Lord within her, the Lord God within her. And she has done that as the beginning of the road to our salvation. How many times do we, therefore, as we begin the journey again, come before the Lord aware that we are making a decision, that we are standing up and making a choice, that we are saying, yes, I believe, yes, I will follow, yes, I will obey. How many times do we think of that? Because the journey begins and then we come to the manifestation of the birth of the Lord, the manifestation to the, to the Gentiles, an epiphany. And we follow this pathway and each step along the way, we are asked at each major event, on each Sunday actually, to say, yes, my decision is to be a disciple. My decision is to receive, accept the grace that the Lord is giving me and move forward in the mystery of his presence in my life. Yes, I look forward to the reception of the Eucharist. Yes, I would never think of missing a Mass on Sunday where I have the opportunity to be united with God himself, to have a foretaste of eternity, to have a foretaste of that which awaits me. Yes, certainly I will do that. Certainly, that is my decision. Or is the decision, well, you know, not today. Not today. I think I'll just sleep. And not knowing, as the gospel says, you don't know when the master of the house is coming. Is it evening? Is it midnight? Is it pre-dawn? Is it dawn? If he comes unexpectedly, what's he going to find? Is he going to find me in my little mode of indifference? Is he going to find me and, well, I'll take care of that tomorrow? Is he going to find me in this mood? Yeah, well, I'm not going to do it today, but maybe next Sunday I'll do it. What's he going to find? And how do we know when he comes? How do we know in our lives? How many people do we know whose lives have been taken from them suddenly? How many people do we know who have not had the time to prepare, who have had not the time and the opportunity at that moment to accept Jesus Christ. But if their life has been a life of decisions for Christ, if their life has been a life of saying, yes, I will accept, yes, I will respond, yes, I will cooperate with the grace of my salvation, then if he comes suddenly, we are prepared if he comes suddenly, then we know that this, basically, we have done what we have could. We have made the decision for Jesus Christ, and we have, in the whole course of our lives, accepted him, and we have moved forward then into the future, into that time, into that world where we know we have been preparing from the first moments of our own conversion 
from the first moments of our own acceptance of Jesus Christ in baptism through the agency of our parents and godparents, again at confirmation, again in choosing the sacraments of marriage, the sacraments of orders, the sacraments that come to us in the form that we need and in the form of the incarnate Christ embedded within the material world, the sacrament of repentance, the sacrament of, of healing, all of those things. We have the opportunities to move forward in that sacramental mystery of the world in which we live, in the sacramental world in which we live, in which the materiality of that world is used for Jesus, by Jesus, to come into contact with us, to come into the presence in our lives, to make us and help us to make decisions for his grace, decisions to participate, decisions to cooperate with the living God. It's a very short, concise gospel. It's very clear on the surface what it means, but when we ask ourselves, what does it mean not to be asleep? What does it mean to stay awake? And we look back on our faith and we realize that those decisions came from humanity, from Mary, the human mother of Jesus, from Jesus Christ in his own humanity as he faced the opposition and as he faced Pontius Pilate to make the decisions to do the will of the Father as he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he suffered therefore for our sake in order to be obedient to the will of his Father and to the mind of his Father, to the wisdom of his Father. We ourselves should always be in a state of presumption of God's goodness, of his wisdom, of his will, of his great care that no matter what suffering we enter into, if we choose to be faithful to Jesus Christ, we will find the reward far outshines anything we could have imagined, anything we could have extracted from the present world, anything that we could have claimed as our own as we traveled along this pilgrimage of life, heading ultimately into the unknown realities of eternal life with the Lord and making sure that along this pathway we have been faithful our decisions have been consistent with the movement of grace in our lives, with the presence of faith in our lives. Foundations in Faith is a production of listener-supported St. Gabriel Catholic Radio AM820. Archives of Foundations in Faith are available at stgabrielradio.com. So